All right. So last week when we met, we started going through the book of Luke. We spent last week talking about Luke's purpose in writing. He wrote to a guy named Theophilus, right? A, a Roman citizen, uh, steeped in Western thought, but also around uh, pagan religion. And Luke was writing to convince Theophilus of the truth of Christianity. So this, this is objectively true, and that's what we talked about last week, objective versus subjective. This isn't something that's just true for, for you, like a lot of the Roman culture was, and, and like us, right? And here in the United States, we are, um, we're, most of us are not atheists in, in the United States. Everybody claims to believe in God. Uh, they just claim tolerance uh, under, that, under that, uh, that title, right? It's true for me, is what they mean. Christianity, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's true for me, but you know, you're a Muslim. Well, that's that's true for you. That's okay. And we treat religious truths like preferences, like ice cream, is how we described it last week. And we wanted to make sure that we understood what what Luke is claiming. He's saying, no, I want to convince you that Christianity is objectively true. That means any other religion. Any other view of the world where it doesn't line up with Christianity is therefore what? False. False. It's just like Jesus preaching that he was the way, the truth, and the life. That got him crucified. And when you say things like this, it's offensive and it gets you persecuted. Um, this is what Lucas. This is what Luke is saying, though. It's objectively true. And and he says, I'm going to convince you. I have uh, compiled this work. I have interviewed eyewitnesses. And I want to tell you this story to convince you about what you've heard, this gospel, this whole Jesus thing. I want to convince you that it's true. And so today we get to start walking through that story that he communicated to Theophilus. And as we talked, we were in such a similar boat as Theophilus, it's going to be speaking directly to us as well. And so I'm excited to, to, get, um, to get walking in it, and I hope you guys are already reading through it and, and that sort of thing. So um, I, I, want, I want to put this in context of, of Scripture in general. At, at this point where Luke is about to start his narrative... You have to realize that God has been silent for 400 years. The end of the book of, of Malachi, which is actually the, the last book in the Old Testament. It was also the last in time. Uh, that was, it, The last revelation from God, the last prophet, was Malachi. Since Malachi, there has been no revelation, no angelic appearances, nothing written as scripture. Uh, in, in a sense, the world had gone quite dark, in fact. At the end of Malachi, or Malachi chapter 4, Malachi makes a, uh, he, he speaks of a day when the Messiah will come. And he talks about it like a sunrise. Uh, he says that there's going to be celebration and joy. In fact, he says, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go, go out leaping like calves from the stall. That was a prophecy that was spoken about 400 years before we're about to join this narrative that Luke is about to talk about. Luke, at the end of this chapter that we're starting today, chapter 1, has, uh, ha- has a guy we'll talk about it today, re- recorded as, as saying uh, that the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Speaking about 
this Messiah that we've been waiting for, that Malachi talked about 400 years ago, that's upon us. Like, that, that's coming up right now. The sun is about to rise. And I was talking with, uh, with, with Jason earlier. I was trying to think of, man, that's, that's, that's kind of neat seeing this in, in context and, and a sun about to rise. And I thought, hey, we're going to be meeting in Sunrise Church. How cool is that? And then, and then I was thinking about you know, uh, this guy we're going to talk about, um, um, John the Baptist. He's, going, he's basically announcing the sunrise. And then about that time on the radio, I was driving in the truck with my dad, and on the radio came the Alice in Chains song, Here Comes the Rooster. I was like, dude, this is like a sign from God, because roosters announce the sunrise, and we're meeting at Sunrise Church. And I was like, yeah, this is perfect. So, uh, from I have never thought of John the Baptist as a rooster, but that's all I can think of now. And so if, if I talk about a rooster, um, I, and I think, I think John the Baptist also had red hair because roosters have red hair. And I'm just falling more in love with, with John the Baptist as I'm r- reading ahead. So uh, I figured, you know, if this were a sermon, I'd like to title it, uh, Here Comes the Rooster. Uh, because that's the song I was, I was hearing. So I, I, really you had to be there. But I, I, I thought about getting him to play the song. But I don't really think that... The, the meaning drives with anything that we're going to talk about yeah, that song. That I use it to talk about. It's about a, a sniper. I knew it was about Viet, Vietnam and uh, and snuffing out the rooster and all that. So, but they didn't get the rooster. The rooster crowed. Yeah. So, to start off, if uh, you guys would turn in your Bibles. To Luke chapter one, and I'm going to ask one of y'all to read, and we're going to go through the first 25 verses. And so, I'm about to ask somebody to read 25 verses. You gonna do five? Go for it, baby. Megan's got a good. I, I didn't have enough service to pull up to my Bible. On my, on my Bible. Five. Verses five through 25, and um, oh, what's more important than me? Explaining what Luke is saying is just listening to Luke for yourself, and so I don't want to to cut it short and just just break it up. Um, but but listen to what Luke has to say, and we'll go from there. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel and the Lord to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, 
to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Hey, let's pray, and, and we'll walk through that. Father God, thank you for, for today. Thank you for, uh, thank you for preserving Luke's words for us. He is going through the story of, uh, of, of the coming of your son. As, as today we're looking at basically a, a prequel to, to, um, to the coming of, of who you called the greatest man to ever be born of a woman, John the Baptist. Uh, as we as we look at the beginnings of, of this guy's life, as we look at revelation from you, man, help us to just get into the story. Help us to understand your word. Uh, would you allow it to penetrate our hearts for what you would have us to hear? I, I, I know and trust the Holy Spirit is here amongst us. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit who inspired these words that we just read. It's the Holy Spirit who indwells us as Christians and who is therefore right here in our presence. Uh, may, we, may we rejoice in that fact and worship you as we learn from your word. And that's in your son's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit that I pray and ask these things. Amen. All right. So, uh, as, I, as I said, God has been silent for 400 years. And if you just heard Megan, Megan read... Uh, this is this is the night beginning to fade away. If you've ever stayed up all night, or if you've camped out outside, when you when you wake up, if you wake up and it's still dark, you can kind of feel if you're if it's almost morning or not, right? Like you know when it's when it's uh, when it's in the middle of the night because everything's kind of quiet, unless you live further south and the cicadas are just blaring very loudly. But there's something about the night that's just kind of still. And as sunrise begins to approach, things start waking up. There's, a, there's just a different feel in the air before the rooster ever crows, right? There's, there, there's just a feeling that that's, that's kind of in the air. Things start, start waking up. And that's kind of where we are in the story of the sunrise. The, the Son of God is a, about to figuratively, figuratively rise, like the sunrise is coming. Uh, uh, this is just prior to that. This guy, who I called the rooster, John the Baptist, has been uh, prophesied about for, for hundreds and hundreds of years that there would be a prophet coming in the, in the power of Elijah, which was an Old Testament pro- prophet that did an amazing job pointing to God. There's going to be someone who comes and who is going to be the forerunner who is going to announce that the Messiah is here. That's going to be John the Baptist. Let me read to you what Isaiah says in chapter 3. He says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked 
shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness is John the Baptist. The guy, when you heard Megan read that you're going to call his name John, that's who we're talking about. John is going to be the one that says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's Jesus. That's where Luke wants to start his story. Because John himself has a quite miraculous beginnings, a miraculous birth. And, and John wants to do, I mean, uh, Luke wants to do a little compare and contrast. And you'll, you'll hear when Jason talks next week, there's some similarities between the story we're going to look at today and, uh, and the story we're going to hear about the miraculous conception of Jesus next week. There's some similarities and some contrasts. So John the Baptist. Um, this is really cool how, how, how Luke starts, and we're just going to walk through it. But this, this is how he starts the story to prove to Theophilus this whole gospel thing. It's true. Let me tell you the story. He starts with, in the days of Herod, king of Judah. And this is Luke for you. He, he is putting his story in a real time, in a real place. I, I, I love that. Then he's going to move and talk about uh, uh, the parents. Okay, here, here's the parents. These are the people. This is what they were doing. And then he's going to talk about a, a promise. And these are, these are some hooks for you as, as we go through. Uh, place, a place in time, parents, and a promise. And I made them all P's because we're in a Baptist church. And I like three points, you know, P, P, and P. And then we'll do a conclusion at the end. Maybe I can even throw in a poem or if I, if I get it going real good. I know Jason loves that format. Three points and a poem. So, <laughs> so we'll see if we <laughs> so we'll see if we can we'll see if we can get that. Um, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, Theophilus, you remember that Herod dude? Yeah, that's when this story takes place. This this is what Luke is saying. Um, you guys have probably heard the name Herod before, have you? When, when we talk about Jesus and and Herod, uh, don't name your kids Herod. I wouldn't suggest that. Uh, Herod's, Herod's dad, Antipater was his name, had been appointed to be ruler of Judea by Caesar. Okay, well, that's that's kind of what Rome did when they overtook a, a civilization or a nation. They would they would come in, they would install their military to govern things, they would install a king to rule over things. They they pretty much let let the the, the nation stay there, right? But they said, all right, you guys, um, you are now our subjects. Go ahead, do life, pay your taxes to us, and do what, and, and do what we say. Um, if you don't, then you die. And nobody, nobody was capable of facing the Roman army. And so Caesar installed Antipater. Antipater, after a period of time, uh, I guess he was in the right position, he said, son, you take over my position. And so Herod took over his position as the basic king of Judea. Herod was was pretty good militarily. Militarily? Is that a word? Okay. It, it does sound good. But I'm just not that good in English. But it sounds good. So militarily speaking, he was really good. He, he uh, as far as Rome was concerned, he uh, there were some terrorists that rose up against the Roman Empire a couple of times. And he stomped them out, no problem. So he was kind of a success militarily. Personally speaking, though, he was vicious. He was wild. Like, this dude, 
Um, he, he was pretty much suspicious of everybody. Uh, once he had the Jewish high priest drowned. And it was his wife's brother. He said, man, this guy's getting too powerful. He's, uh, I don't know, I, I'm afraid I may be losing some power because this guy's in a place of power. So he had him drowned. And it was his wife's brother. And, and then because his wife got suspicious, he had her killed as well. And then because two of his sons were also suspicious of what happened to uh, their, their dad and the mom, well, he had them killed. Great. Okay, this is, this is the kind of guy. Uh, when he was on his deathbed, like he knew he was going to die soon, and he knew the people didn't really like him. Well, he, didn't, he wanted people to be grieving when he died. Like this is... So he had uh, several of the nobles in town arrested and put in jail. And he gave orders to his men. He said, when I die, kill them, execute them. Because when I die, I want there to be grieving and mourning. Uh, if this isn't bad enough, you probably have heard from the story of, of Jesus. Uh, he was told that, that a, a king had been born in the city of Bethlehem. And so he, he freaked out and said, oh, no way, there, there, nobody can challenge my throne. And he ordered his men to, to kill every boy, every Jewish boy, to be slaughtered. Every boy two years old and, and younger. And uh, that's why Jesus, and we'll probably see later, that um, they had to go to Egypt. I don't think Luke actually records it, but we'll talk about it. That's, that's the kind of guy that Herod was. So, Theophilus. You remember that Herod guy? Alright, when he was king, when that guy, when he was king... This is when this story takes place. I love how he sets it in real time, in real place. Uh, this is not just some story. Here's the facts. In the days of Herod, yes, sir. Go for it. Come, yeah, come on. Was he actually descended from the kings of Judah? Was he even, was he even a full Jew? I, from, I, from what I don't know, okay. I don't know totally. So okay. I, I don't think he was Jewish at all from what I know, from what I understood. Um, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. In some of your translations, it, sometimes he's called Zacharias, which is fine. That's just a, a, a more Greekified version. That is a word I made up, and I'm going to keep it Greekified. <laughs> uh, division of, of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So now we're getting into the parents. All right, here's, here's the setting. All right, here's the parents of the rooster. This was a priestly family. Zechariah was a priest. He was one of about 18,000 priests. Their job was to take care of the temple and to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. Now, they served in rotations because 18,000 priests didn't occupy the temple except, on, except at Passover. Um, they, they had divisions. So Aaron, who was basically the father of the priestly line, noticed that his wife was also in... So his wife and him, all they knew their whole life was, was priest-like. Everything they did revolved around serving the people, serving God, being holy, that kind of thing. So uh, the division of Abijah, that means uh, 
because 18,000 priests, like I said, couldn't all serve in the temple at one time. They had rotations that they served in. So a priest ended up serving in the temple two weeks out of the year. All right, we're going to see in a minute. It was, it, it was his division's turn. Um, this was, you got to realize, this is, this is all that they knew then. This, 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 was their, this was their life. Verses 6 and, six and 7. Uh, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Alright, so they were old and they had no kids. Uh, what I want you to understand, first of all, I, I made the point that all they knew was this holy, righteous living they lived with other priests and other priestly families. Uh, it was it was a pretty big deal to not have kids. Having kids, producing the next generation, is what it was all about. Like that that was a primary goal of the Jewish family. If you didn't have kids, you were kind of looked at to think, uh, uh, man. What have they done wrong? Why has God not blessed them with children? I mean, after all, you know that Psalm 127 says children are a blessing from God. I have the church lady voice in my head. I'm saying, you know that Deuteronomy 28 says, you know, you, you, you're cursed. You could be cursed with barrenness. What are you guys doing? How come you haven't, how come you haven't had any kids? What are you doing wrong behind the scenes? Luke makes the point uh, very clearly here that although they didn't have kids, they certainly would have not been seen as, as righteous. They, there would have been uh, at least a big question mark over their heads from this community that they lived in. However, Luke makes the point to say they were both righteous before God, walking, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, uh, that, that means they were following God. That doesn't mean they didn't ever mess up. That doesn't mean they, they weren't sinners. In, in fact, we can, if, if you guys kind of know your Bibles back in Genesis, um, it talks about righteousness. And when God talks to, to Abraham, he says that Abraham is counted as righteous because he believed God, because he had faith in God, because he had trust in God. So when we read things about uh, Old Testament people being righteous, uh, it's still appropriate to, to see it through the lens of Jesus, actually. No one is righteous on their own. The only way that you can become righteous is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we just sang about. Now, they, of course, they didn't, know, they didn't know about Jesus exactly, but they did trust and believe in the one true God. And belief in that God, he counted that to them as righteousness on the forecoming sunrise that we're going to be talking about in a few weeks, Jesus. All right, so just to kind of straighten that out. Um, uh, this is what I want to ask you, and, and maybe you can have, uh, we can get some feedback or discussion going here. How hard is it for you to rest in the Lord rather than the opinion of others? Uh, you have to know that their entire community would have shunned them for not having kids. They, they would have wondered... What, what, are, what are they doing? What kind of sin is in their life? They would have been judged. They would have been judged because they didn't fit the mold of what a righteous person, of what a religious person, of what a priest, 
They, they didn't fit the mold. And so they were being judged for that. Have you ever been in that boat? You know, it, it's, it's, it's one thing... It's one thing to be judged by those who, if you grew up uh, Christian in a, in a family that was involved in church and that kind of thing. It's one thing to be judged by, by an outsider. Um, and it is something even more to be judged by your own community. Have any of you guys ever experienced judgment? Probably so. Do you want examples? Yeah, as long as we're not like... Judging other people by talking about them judging us, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you got an ex- if you got an example, it's well. I think I think it's interesting though. Like we all come from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Very, family very different. Is, is a, a particularly unique place to be judged too, mm. um, just because it, there's always expectations, like all the way down from. I think neither one. Or, there's always been one set of parents in our family that didn't like the name that we gave our child. You know, like, there's, you know, like there's, it, it gets really like minor like that, but but in some regards too, I, I recall, you know, my dad, um, uh, my dad actually knew that that he had no issue with drinking alcohol, and he felt this was awful. And he's a he's a pastor, and he is um, extremely abolitionist. Uh, at heart, mm-hmm. and so just this this reality has caused him much angst, and we've had to you know, work through figuring out how does this look because his culture and what he perceives as being truth is is this is a bad thing to do, and therefore mm. it should be bad for you to do too. And uh, so the judgment that is definitely and verbally inflicted in that is it's, it opens up great doors for discussion. Yeah. But I think that's just an example that is close to home, but it's actually like your own family, like your own parents. I'm sure they were the same. You know, their their parents expected grandchildren and things like that. Yeah. It's very and, and probably, you know, to be judged by somebody that's that's way over there that you don't even know, that's one thing. But when it's your own dad, like that that hurts. It hurts. And and, and I and I know I'm I'm very positive that everyone in here has been judged um, and it hurts. And it hurts. Imagine these these people having been judged all of all of their lives, and they were following God. You can follow Jesus and be judged. Uh, and we probably judge ourselves more than anybody. Yeah, that's so well. Good. This is close to home. Oh yeah. I was thinking about that because I was thinking about how that still happens, even in the scenario you were with Zechariah and Elizabeth and being barren and you know, to know couples who suffer through not being able to have a child who want one so badly and oftentimes they hold back that there must be sin in their lives that they haven't repented of. And it's like, you go, what? Why would you say that to someone? Um, but even even things that trickle down just culturally and things that we buy and, and kind of take in just because we are surrounded by them um, especially in the ways that we view ourselves, mm-hmm. so I think that's big. You know, I was thinking all the way back because in that culture, that was a big, that was a shame culture. So they had probably adopted some from the Greeks and, and you know, around them. Who your value rested in what others said of you, and that's why you know, the whole with the Iliad and the uh, uh, I know Mom's talking, but you can't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, 
you know, it was part of the whole reason why what's his face was so mad is because he had been shamed publicly. Mm. So he felt his pride had been publicly wrecked and he went away and pouted about yeah, it, which yeah. if, part, if you understand the culture, yeah, yeah. there was reason for it. So it, it's almost as if some of the, the, the sin that's taking place here is it had been absorbed. Yeah. The whole point of that was to be careful what we're taking in and going, okay, what am I believing to be true about where my value lies? Am I getting it from there or am I getting it from a true source? The last sentence in that passage that was read too is Elizabeth reflecting on herself. Thank you for taking away my disgrace. Mm. Which is definitely something that that we would say, well, we know that that's not true. God still loved you. You were upright. But she felt that way about herself. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the thing I think I want you to re- remember here is, is that uh, the world, even the religious world, will tell you that you have to look a particular way, you have to act a particular way, you have to say some certain things, you have to dress, you have to live in a certain kind of house, you have to drive a certain kind of car, you have to have a certain number of kids to be worthy, to fit in, to be valuable. I, I want to remind you that... The gospel says something entirely different. In the same way that God saw these people as righteous because they had faith in him. The gospel says it doesn't matter uh, who you are, what you look like, how you talk and how you act. The way that you become accepted and worthy and righteous is because of me. Because I give you my righteousness, Christian. That's what gives you your worth. Uh, Before that, simply that you are a human being made in the image of God means you are infinitely worthy. Uh, Not because of anything that you do, not because of anything that you say, not because of how you fit in or how you don't fit in. It's because you bear God's image. In fact, he thinks you're so valuable that he did send his son to die on a cross for you. I want to remind you that that is where we must find our worth and value rather than in the opinions of others. Yet it is so hard to do that. It's so hard to do that for any of us. And that's why we have to remind each other of the gospel, of that truth that says, no, dude, it doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't matter. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. That's that is where we must. And if I can add to that, Please. because I was, I was reading this a couple weeks ago, because that's it. I just totally triggered it. Um, that, the, that on the one hand, that it doesn't matter what others think. I'm thinking of Paul talking to Corinthians, because in essence, what he tells them when he goes to kind of show them, I am an apostle, you're believing the wrong types of things. And they were arguing with each other over, well, I heard it from Paul, and I heard it from Apollo, and so I'm more authoritative or whatever. Um, and Paul says, look, it doesn't matter what you think of one another. Paul's like, I, quite frankly, I don't think, care what you think of me. And then he goes on to say, in fact, I don't care what I think of me. <laughs> I care what he thinks of me. Yeah. And so that was that was true, too. So it's not just what others think, but what we think of ourselves that we should later rest, too. Because what the truth is, what we need to be in alignment with, is if this is true, we are in alignment with what he thinks of us. Yeah. And apparently he thinks the world of us. <laughs> He so loved the world that he sent his only son. Uh, and when we put our faith in him, then he makes a promise to us that we will live with him forever. He will count, he will 
counted it to us as righteousness, and we will be in a relationship with him for eternity. Here in our text, um, God makes a promise to, to this couple. And as he does, he, he's going to be breaking the 400 years of silence. Verses uh, 8 and 9. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's some dives. Y'all figure out. <laughs> That's, so... That just sounds... Man, I so, give your thought on the way in. Yeah, I'm not going there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm like, just a dude. I don't, I don't so, so you're capitalizing on something. This, this. Did, did they draw lots because nobody wanted to do it, or because this was such a special privilege that uh, you, you can maybe look at it both ways? But it, they had to draw lots because only this actually going in uh, to the holy place, which is where this altar of incense was, was uh, was a big deal. It was an extremely big deal. Uh, the only place more sacred than the holy place was uh, the, the innermost sanctum of the temple called the Holy of Holies, in which only the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement. And they would tie, yes, uh, because that, that is where the presence of God dwelled. And you, you realize that a, a holy, just, righteous God, who is the standard of all that's good, cannot, will not be in the presence of sin. But the high priest, <laughs> or anybody who approaches the presence of God, is a sinner. And so what happens to someone in the presence of God? Well, then they're... They're smitten, right? They're they're done with, uh, and, and so it, it was a scare. And, and there's plenty of instances where uh, uh, people touched the ark of the covenant and 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 died, right? It was a scary thing to go into the holy of holies, and that's why they tied a rope around him or they put bells on the on the priest because if he went in and hadn't done the the, the proper ceremonial cleansing and uh, and or did things wrong, then he's out. He's dead. He's gone. They'll stop draining, ringing, they'd start dragging. Yeah, pull him out of the road because he didn't, he didn't cover his hiding before he went in there, right? The holy place was as close as you could get without being the high priest to the presence of God. That's a big deal. Uh, this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime privilege for a priest. Once you drew the lot to go burn the... Uh, incense at, at the altar, you couldn't do it again. So this was this was a big day. Uh, this this would have been wild. It would have been he would have been scared probably. This was a totally new thing. He had never seen it before. He'd heard stories about what what this looked like. What's what's in there? He knew what he had to do. Right. His job actually was was to gather coals from the the uh, burning altars that were uh, in the outer courts and take them to the to the inside, onto this golden altar right outside the Holy of Holies, uh, and then he was to burn incense on that altar, and the incense, I'm, I probably got to read the next verse here, uh, I will, 
Verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot. I did read that. Good. To burn incense. The idea of this burning of incense was um, that the sacrifices, the prayer, the worship of, of all of the people, it was symbolic going up into heaven. The, the prayers were going to be heard by God. The fragrant smell would fill the temple, and so it would be a pleasing aroma to God. And maybe you've heard that language from, from the Old, Old Testament, that it, that it was pleased. But the only thing that will please God is a blood sacrifice. And so uh, this, this is kind of the idea. And you see that there's a multitude outside in the next verse, verse 10. A whole multitude of people were praying outside at the, uh, at the hour of incense. So here he was. He, w- he was going in. He was, he was burning the incense. The, the aroma was beginning to... To, to fill the place, the smoke was, was filling the room. There were people on the outside praying. He was probably terrified. Did I do everything right like I was supposed to do? Uh, here I am. Dude, God is on the other side of that curtain right there. He, he would have been thrilled and terrified all at the same time. Totally unfamiliar place. It was probably, it was quiet. He was alone. Totally quiet. And then, I, I love what happens. An angel appears, like out of out of nowhere. I can just imagine him going about his his business, and then look at the next verse. Uh, and there appeared to him, and, and Luke just just states it matter of factly, and and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. That's a nice way of saying he freaked out. Fear fell upon him. It would have been like a huge weight crashing down onto him. Have you ever been so scared that you fell down? Like that's that's, that's, that's what a that's, yes. That's don't you don't you know that's what he was that's what he was thinking. Here he was going about his business, and then he looks up, and there is an angel. He screamed like a little schoolgirl. He had to. There. He had to think that God had come for him. This was it. It was done. Because he, he knew he was a sinner. And here he was right outside the Holy of Holies. Done with. I, I, I love that fear fell upon him. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, <laughs> Zechariah. I, when angels show up, they always say that. After the person is terrified. Hey, don't be afraid. We're going to see that happen again with, with Mary. Oh, don't be afraid. I always want, why don't they give some sort of warning beforehand? Like, I don't drop a little note and say, hey man, don't be afraid, but I'm about to appear. It ha- always happens the other way around, and I think they must get a kick out of it. I, I would if I were an angel. It's like, necessary. <laughs> like, hey, watch I, this. I'm not, I'm not sure that you couldn't be afraid. I, mean, I, yeah. I guess it doesn't tell the way he appeared, but, you know, anything appearing. From a from from a realm of sinlessness into a world of sinfulness would have to be somewhat terrifying to to an extent to someone who is sinful. I mean, every time the Lord told Moses, "I you can't see me. I'll let you look at the back of me. No. You can't actually see me, or you'll are going to die." Yeah. And I'm sure that's what, what was that, about? that is exactly what that, Moses on the on the mountain. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that's what Zechariah was thinking. Like It, it had to. It had to. Uh, verse 13, But the angel said to him, uh, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers, your prayer has been heard, 
And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So here he is thinking he's about to die. And this angel says, oh no, I've come to answer your prayer. And I'm sure this would have been a prayer that they had been praying for years and years and years. Uh, typically, stop by that point. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably so, because they were advanced in years. They, the, these guys were 70, 80 years old at, at this point. So, uh, th- But this had to have been a prayer. Think about how, how many times they must have prayed for a kid. They would have been married at a very young age. Decades. They would have been praying. And so here he is terrified, and they says, oh, don't be afraid. We're going to grant you a child. Uh, he goes on to say, um, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord God, and he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts and fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people. Uh, ready for the Lord a people prepared. Um, we're going to be talking more about John the Baptist, the guy I called the rooster, uh, coming up soon. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this section, but uh, basically he, he, he is saying the the prophesied forerunner to the Messiah that's who you're going to give birth to he's going to be coming in the power of Elijah we mentioned him earlier uh, what, what all those things that I just read about uh, he must not drink strong wine uh, wine or strong drink and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit these are this is a description of something called a Nazarite vow a Nazarite vow was typically a, a temporary vow that people would take uh, to set aside pleasures and blessings from God to dedicate their uh, a portion of their lives specifically to worship um, of God. Uh, not too many people took a Nazarite vow for life. It was normally a temporary thing. There were two other people, Samuel and Samson, that had taken a Nazarite vow for, for life. And it, it seems as if John uh, was to be a Nazarite, uh, take a Nazarite vow for life as well. But he's going to be the prophet that points to the Son of God. He's going to be pointing to the Messiah. And so we're going to talk about that later. But listen to how Zechariah responded in uh, in 18, because I don't think he really heard all of those things. I, obviously, because he's stuck back on that part about having a baby. Right. Uh, okay. Um, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Um, look, dude, I'm old. And my wife, she's advanced in years. That's a politically correct way of saying she's really old. I don't really know, Mr. Angel Man, if you know how biology works. But uh, that boat stopped rocking long ago. That's That's not a... That's not really a consideration right now. And the angel... <laughs> there was an angel standing there telling us, he's like... Yeah, he was just, he was just terrified. But here he is, living in, living in reality. And this, is, this happens to us sometimes, so many times. It doesn't matter how many times we see God show off. We'd never expect it again. Like, no, it, 
doesn't matter that the angel is standing right in front of him. He's going to question when that angel says you're going to have a baby. He says, dude, that's not possible. Yeah, we tried that for decades, and now the ship sailed. Like that, that, that can't take place anymore. My wife's eighty, dude. Like, it, it doesn't work that way. I do think it kind of highlights his personality, though, too, because because some people, like, I think my wife, if she had that experience, she'd be saying, "Great, whatever you say." <laughs> yeah. But like me, I would absolutely be the one to be like, "I know about this stuff. Like, this doesn't doesn't work." Yeah, and it's more of a challenging of kind of like explain it in light of this not working. Um, and he's like, "Don't challenge me, you disrespectful human." That, and that's that's exactly what, pretty much exactly what he says. And the angel answered him, "I'm Gabriel. I, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news." Like. I'm a freaking angel of, the, of God standing in front of you and telling you this. And you don't think that it's possible? Like, come on, man. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Yes, sir. So is it the angel having the authority to silence people? That, you know, that's I. I asked the same question when uh, when I read this. Okay, so did the angel make this decision? What we what we know is that angels are always messengers of God. They communicate God's words. So they do. He this angel will not speak on his own authority. I, I don't know exactly how it works out in the kingdom of heaven. It, uh, you know, like, but I do know that he speaks for God. And if he speaks other. Anything other than God's will, then He would be counted in the rebellious angels that have that have already uh, you know, been cast out out of heaven. And so, uh, it's very safe to say this 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 was God's decision to lay down this discipline. Very good question. Um, here's the thing. Remember, we read that that these guys believed in, in God. Like these, Zechariah was was a righteous guy, so he was a believer, right? Yet he's doled out this, some people would call punishment. We need to make sure we see it as, as discipline. Because sometimes God disciplines his children so that we will trust him. He, he absolutely does that. Um, Zechariah was a believer, but in that moment he didn't believe God. God loves us enough to help us believe in, even when we don't believe and sometimes he will make our lives extremely uncomfortable so that we will trust him. Because he knows that he, he is our only salvation. He is our only path through this life that will lead to anything good. And so he's okay with your temporary discomfort. Because he's after your eternal glory. Uh, I imagine um, that you guys have experienced some hardships that... After you've gone through them, you look back and say, Thank you, God. I would have never seen you as clearly as I see you now if you haven't, hadn't allowed me to walk through that. Do you have some experiences like that? Ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Ex-girlfriend. You're all heartbroken and, and depressed, I'm sure, afterwards, and then... Now you say, oh, thank God, <laughs> thank God you gave me that heartache. 
there will be a time in the next few weeks we're going to see Zechariah saying, Thank God you brought me through that. Um, be encouraged through this text and through the experience of others. I'm sure you just, just ask. Um, God is faithful. And I know that some of you are walking through some crap right now. Um, as a believer, you can trust, you can trust that, that God is going to be right with you through whatever he's allowing you to go through right now. And on the other side, you will be more like Jesus. And isn't that the ultimate good? To be shaped and molded into the image of his son. Romans 8.28 tells us that he works all things for the glory of those who love him. He works all things for the good. You've probably heard that before. That good is carefully defined. <laughs> the good is into the image of his son. That doesn't mean when you lose your job, you're going to get a higher paying job the next week. It doesn't mean that at all. It means he's going to use that experience to make you more like Jesus. That's how much he loves you. He, he's, willing to, he's willing to let you suffer. And, and you've got to understand that... God doesn't like to watch you suffer. In fact, he hates watching you suffer so much that he would send his son to suffer on your behalf so that ultimately you will not suffer. That's, that's crazy. Verse 21 uh, is where we left off. Uh, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Remember those people are outside praying as they're seeing the incense, and now they're wondering... Okay, where is he? He's supposed to come out. I, w I wonder what they're thinking now. Like they're thinking, did he not do things right? Is he dead? We don't hear, hear the bells. Do what? You think they heard the angels? I don't know. They're wondering what happened. They're wondering what happened. So uh, apparently not. Right? So um, when he did come out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. Um. I can only imagine him coming out and he can't speak, he can't hear, and apparently he can't hear, right? He had to make signs to them, and oh, yeah, and he remained mute. So he was trying to communicate to them. Apparently they understood that he saw some kind of vision. You know, did they, I wonder if they judged him more. That's what I was thinking. They probably judged him more because uh, he must have done something wrong so that God punished him. So not only was something going on before, but now, now we know something was going on because, because of this. I don't know. Hmm. There's no telling what they thought, right? Um, I, I don't know. I can imagine him trying to explain, uh, trying to write, trying to, trying to do something, just looking like a crazy person. Uh, and then Luke just keeps it kind of simple. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Like... That's it? You didn't tell us? Like, what, what, what did this guy have experienced? Like, he had spent 80 years being able, being able to hear and being able to speak, and then he was shut up. He could not hear and he could not speak. Can you, uh, this is crazy. For everything just to be... That boggles my mind. Uh, it, it had to be so 
terrible. How were these? You know, how were these people trying to communicate with him? Were they like yelling in his ear? Yeah, because he was mute. He was mute, right? Mute, deaf, or medically different things. Yeah. Well, later he writes his name is John. So that's right. He heard the conversation going on. Yeah. Okay. Mute is just. So he just couldn't talk. That's right. So he just couldn't talk. See. Uh, deaf mute is different. So what? What were they? They, they probably thought he couldn't hear. <laughs> Dude, why aren't you talking to us? Hey, what's going on here? Um, I I don't know. It had to be terrible just not being able to talk. My uh, my grandfather, uh, he died this past year, but he suffered dementia, and there there was a state in this deterioration where. He just couldn't, it seemed like, he, he had something he wanted to communicate, and he simply could not form the words. And you could see the frustration in, in just in his eyes. Like he could not form the, the thoughts. And you know, you'd ask him, and he, he obviously got what you, what you were saying, and he'd shake his head yes or no, but he'd get so frustrated... Because he could not tell you what he wanted to tell you. And I can only imagine that this guy was the same. He had just seen an angel. <laughs> and he couldn't tell you about it. It, it must have been insane um, that he couldn't talk. And, and so, he, so he went home. And I, the next verse I kind of found funny. Um, because I think Elizabeth was kind of liked him not being able to talk. Because she... She's she, she, Yeah. Like, I don't know. It turned her on, I guess, because they ended up getting pregnant. There was something about this guy not being able to talk. Like, <laughs> there's no marital dispute. That's right. That's right. Oh man, he's not. He's not picking on me or telling me what to do anymore. I like this. All right. Uh, yeah, he stopped talking. He went home. And got his wife pregnant. How's that? After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, "Thus." The Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. I mean, she she had accepted the fact that she was barren, right? Uh, now her husband has gone mute and, surprise, with child, 80 years old. Um, in a sense, I mean, in some ways that sounds horrible, like an 80-year-old being pregnant, right? Like, but this would have been the biggest blessing of their lives. I, I found myself wondering. It says she kept herself hidden. Well, why? What? What? What was? What was the big deal of keeping herself hidden? I wasn't convinced by anything that 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 people said. Um, I think it's just a, kind of a, a good speculation. In, in a sense, maybe she was a little embarrassed because she was eighty, right? Maybe the first half of her pregnancy was kind of hard because she was eighty, or. All of it, yeah. Or, or maybe she just finally didn't really care what other people thought. Well, maybe there was still some disbelief too. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't announce that they're pregnant until they're very pregnant, just in case they lose the baby or something. Yeah. And is this really even possible? So, so there's lots of speculation on. Okay, what what exactly was it about? She kept herself hidden. Um, anyway, we don't have to hang out there anymore. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> at home it was nice and peaceful. Nobody. Well, I, was... do, I do want to comment on that, just because in Baltimore when we lived there, there was the snowmageddon of the Mid Atlantic, and it was the only day in like 
15 or 20 years that there have been no murders in all of Baltimore <laughs> because everyone was stuck at home. Or they just didn't know it was happening, I'm not sure. But there was no reported murders. But also, there is an, an article that, that noted that nine months after, there was a spike in babies in Baltimore. And it was speculated that because people were stuck at home and mm. not at work, that there was an increased amount of they had family time. Um, wow. So him being quiet, him being home, because he probably couldn't go to work and actually work. Yeah. Well, although she kept herself hidden for, for five months, uh, what we do know is that others would, in fact, see the glory of God through her in, in, in this miraculous conception. Um, as God worked in this lady's life, when God will restore her husband, they're going to see God being glorified, even through the words that he immediately speaks. They're certainly going to see through through her son that she gives birth to that he's going to be pointing to Jesus. Like that's, that's why he was born, to point to Jesus. Um, and isn't that kind of the whole point? Isn't that, that that that's the point of all of this, right? This this revelation, this miracle, that God breaking the silence of four hundred years. He used discipline, right? He used a miraculously answered prayer. It's all because because God was orchestrating things to point to His one and only Son that He was sending into the world, because that's how much He loved us. That's how much He loves His Son. He's shaping everything, all of history, this this point right here as the darkness begins to fade, as the stillness of the night begins to wake up, as the rooster prepares to crow, God is organizing all things to point to his son. Um, wherever you are, with with God, uh, with Christianity, whether you're you're still at the point of being a skeptic, or whether you've been a Christian for for years, um, I hope you kind of put yourself in that position right before the sun rises, in, the, in that stillness of the night, I mean, that transition from darkness to light. That, that's where Luke is about to take us. The anticipation, the anticipation of God himself. I don't know if you can remember, those of you that are a Christian, that do you remember becoming a Christian? Do you remember how the light just totally shattered the darkness? Especially if you became a Christian later in life. It, imagine if you could go back now to that point right before. Right before God saved you. And you knew what was about to happen. That, that's where that's where Luke has us right now. That's that's crazy. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the miraculous conception of Jesus Himself. Um, let's finish with worship. Let's let's finish in in that place, pointing to Jesus, where, where Luke is. He, he God is is orchestrating all of time to point to his son right now. He broke his silence to point us to Jesus. And so let's finish worshiping Jesus.